Good morning, everyone. Today's reading is from 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting at verse 40. 1 Samuel chapter 17, and it's page 289 in the Church Bible. Then David took his staff in his hand, chose five small stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistines, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. And he, the Lord saves, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Ruth. It's great to be here to talk about this amazing story this morning and thinking about this, that the battle is the Lord's. And to think about this story as a giant killing. I looked up giant killing in the dictionary, and this is what it said. Used to describe a sports player or team that defeats a much stronger opponent or an occasion when this happens. As an example, if Scarborough beat Chelsea, it would be the biggest giant killing upset of all time. That's what it said in the dictionary. A giant killing is the name of an improbable victory. 
And we're going back to the very origin of that phrase. This story in the ancient scriptures is the very first victory, a time when the underdog truly triumphed because the battle was the Lord's. This story is at the center of the story of King David. It reflects the way that God works in his world. And later on, we're going to think about how that reflects further into the New Testament. And we're going to think about a question that the disciple Andrew asked Jesus. But first, we're focused on this contest where David comes to fight Goliath. The battle takes place at a time when Israel is threatened with the destruction and obliteration of its nation on a fairly regular basis. They've been at war with the surrounding tribes for decades. And their biggest enemies are the Philistines, who live down near the coast. Israel lives in the hill country, the Philistines live on the coast, and pretty much every year they'll get together and have a battle. It's been going on season after season. In a way, it's their derby match. It's the one they always expect to have to fight. And in some ways also, it funded the economy. The plunder that they uh, gain from a big battle is what keeps their economy going. It functions so that it oils the wheels of all the commerce and everything else that happens in the nation. And the battles keep people in power. The battles were why Israel wanted a king. Do you remember they said to Samuel, we want a king to lead us into battle. It was how it worked. It was how life was expected to happen. And this year, the big match took place in the Valley of Elah. Two opposing hills and a pitch for fighting on in between them. And we need to be aware that this is a real place. This is the Valley of Elah in Israel. And it's thought that Saul and his army were entrenched on the northern hill on the far side of the valley and that, Saul, and that um, Goliath and the Philistines were in the foreground on this side of the valley. And you can see you've got two hills. Once they've arrived, they dig in, they dig in their defences and they have a face-off against one another. And at the bottom of that valley, there is a brook. And on the edge of that brook, there are lots of small, smooth stones. And the stones in that particular valley have a high concentration of barium sulfate. And barium sulfate makes those stones twice as dense as other stones, which is sort of interesting, isn't it? The geography backs up this story. This is not a myth or a fairy tale. This is a battle. This is something that really happened and we need to take it in that sense, in that seriousness. So the armies have arrived, and they're dug in. And once they're dug in, there's not much chance that anyone's going to successfully succeed in an attack. Because if you go down into the valley, oh, just trying to get back to the valley picture, you've then got to go uphill against the other army, and that's going to be difficult. We all know fighting uphill is difficult. So they're in a bit of a stalemate, and they need a way to get past this impasse. And so they resort to a 
warrior against warrior face-off. And it's a bit like going to penalties at the end of a drawn match. There's no way through, so they have to find a way through. Some way to, for a side to win. So Goliath comes down as this warrior. And on this occasion, the Philistines have the perfect man for the job. They've been growing and training Goliath since he was just a young boy. He's been in their academy and benefited from their best coaches. They've fashioned his armor specifically to fit him. He's even got his own kit man, the shield bearer, who walks into battle before him. And he is a giant. In the text, it says that he's three cubits, which is nine feet tall. We looked up on Google in our life group how tall the tallest man in the world is today. The tallest man in the world today is eight foot three inches. The tallest man recorded in recent history is eight foot 11 inches. Goliath is nine foot tall. He's a giant. And every day he comes down to challenge the people, the army of Israel, the people of Israel. He is devoted to one thing. He's a killing machine. And he's been coming down all through the summer holidays, as we heard last week. For 40 days, he's been challenging the army on the other side of the valley. Every day, the challenge comes. Come and fight me, and we can settle this. But fighting a giant is not for everyone even King Saul has ducked out on his responsibility until a young shepherd appears who says that he will do it. Why? Why take on this huge hunk of armour-clad muscle? Well, we've been working up to this for the last three weeks and thinking about this, and David knew three things. David had the confidence to do this, because he knew that he had infinite value to God, who had called him and chosen him. David was not afraid, because as Adam said in his talk, the fear of the Lord drives all other fears before it. And David stepped forward, as Rachel said last week, because he knew he belonged to God and he knew the gifts that God had given him. So this is what's at the heart of this story, the key thing that we need to learn today, that we need to know whose we are and then who we are. David first knew that he belonged to God, that God had chosen him. That was the most important thing that he took into battle with him. That was what changed him from being a shepherd to being a mighty warrior in the name of the Lord. He knew whose he was before who he was. It's important to get it in that order because it's not the way the world tells us that we should believe in ourselves. The world says the first thing that we concentrate on is defining who we are. The world says we are the sum of our choices, the choices that we make. We're the brands we wear, we're the places that we go to eat or drink coffee. We're the people who go on particular holidays. We are the images that we present to our world. 
This is who we are, as seen on our social media accounts. And in today's world, we can decide who we want to be. That's what the world tells us. There's a story, I don't know if it's true, that you can register at Bristol University as a cat. That's what they say. I don't know if it's true, I haven't been on the website. But do you see how far our world has gone? We can decide who we are. That's the most important thing. But it's much more important to know whose we are. Because that's where we will find our true security. That's where we will find our true significance. This is what God says to us. Do not fear. Don't be anxious. Do not fear. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. And you are mine. God is love. And he is the source of the love that we need to draw on to face the battles of this life. Do not fear, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. So often, as we come back to this story, we see the problem and not the potential. And that's a choice that we all make. We can do it with people or with situations. We see what's missing, what's lacking, what's needed. And we forget to be grateful for what God has given us. Jesus, when he chose his disciples, he didn't see all the problems that they had. He saw their potential. Jesus probably already knew that they were not the brightest bunch in the world. He soon found that out as he told them the stories as he started to teach them. Jesus probably knew that they were all going to desert him when he faced his time of trial. But Jesus still chose those disciples because he saw the potential that they had. And they went on, those disciples, to form the church that is still here 2,000 years later. Without those disciples chosen by Jesus, this building wouldn't be here, would it? Jesus saw their potential. See the problem or see the potential. God longs for us to leave the problems with him. That's the message of David's victory. Not that we can do great things in our own strength, but that with God, nothing is impossible. King Saul and the army saw the gigantic problem that Goliath was. How could they ever defeat him? David sees the power of God and the possibility of a great victory. David looks at Goliath and sees only a Philistine defying the armies of the Lord. David sees the potential and steps forward. Goliath taunts David and he says, Today I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David comes straight back at him. He raises him. He takes his taunt and he raises him and he said, I will give the whole Philistine army's carcasses to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. How does David have the confidence to do this? Because he knows who he belongs to. He knows that he belongs to God. 
and Goliath is offended. They've sent some little shepherd boy against me. So he moves down the hill, ready for the kill. But David runs into range, and he swings his sling up to the right velocity to let go of this small, dense stone that hits Goliath in the forehead, that sinks into his skull. And Goliath falls face down on the ground. David triumphed over Goliath with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck him down and killed him. How did he do this? Because he knew who he belonged to. Because God was with him. Because the battle is the Lord's. And we know, don't we, that later there would come one who would fight an even bigger battle, who would defeat our very greatest enemies of sin and death, who would choose the cross. He stepped forward and he took on the armour of the Jewish establishment and the Roman Empire and Jesus triumphs as the ultimate underdog and he would change the world forever because the battle is the Lord's. And so we get to Andrew's question in John's Gospel, chapter 6. John, in his Gospel, recalls some of the dialogue that the other Gospel writers leave out. A great crowd of people have followed Jesus, and they're there on a hillside. They're there because they've heard Jesus has done these amazing signs and performed great miracles. And Jesus looks up and he says to his disciples, where will we get enough food for these people to eat? And Philip, his disciple, says, Lord, even half a year's wages wouldn't be enough for all of them to have just one bite. In the midst of the problem of hundreds of thousands of hungry, of, of thousands of hungry people out on a lonely hillside, at the end of the day, the disciples see the problem that faces them. But there's a small child, isn't there? There's a small child who doesn't see the problem, but sees the possibilities. And he's ready to offer his packed lunch to Jesus. And this is the question of Andrew. But how far will this go amongst so many? He sees the problem. How far will this go amongst so many? The boy is prepared to give his food to Jesus. He knows that once he gives it to Jesus, something remarkable will happen. It can meet the needs of all those around him because Jesus can do this. Jesus makes gifts multiply. He makes things happen. We look to Jesus and we offer him what we have. We have the confidence to do this because we know that we belong to him. For Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. We are chosen by Jesus. We are not afraid, for he is with us. Because Jesus offers us a peace that passes all understanding. Yesterday, I was down at the cathedral. There was a big ordination service. And I had to dress up in all the robes and... Uh, had to be, in the, be there early to make sure I was in the right place in the procession because these things are very important when you go to the cathedral. And so we stood in a corridor and I met uh, a retired priest who had been a Navy chaplain. And he signed up as a Navy, chap 
a Navy chaplain in 1980. And in 1982, he found, himself in the Falkland, he found himself in the Falkland conflict. And I said to him, so did you actually go there? He said, oh yes. I was there digging holes while the Argentinians were firing at me. And he said, and the amazing thing was, I knew a sense of calm that I've never known before or since because I knew that Jesus was with me. Jesus is still going into battle with people today. And you may face battles in your life. But Jesus is there. He's ready to be there for you, whatever battle you're facing. We step forward because we know that we are secure in our identity, that we belong to God, that we are children of God, that he is the good shepherd, and we are the sheep who he's called because he says, my I know my sheep and my sheep know me. So what about us today as we look around us in this big city and we're all here in church, in a parish of 18,000 people there's not that many of us, is there, to make a difference in our world. We live in a world that says that it doesn't need God anymore. We live in a world that doesn't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that just in many ways isn't interested. We have this great big building that's going to need lots of work in the next few years. We're part of an institution that has layers of bureaucracy that seem to deliberately get in the way of us doing anything at times, and we have limited funds and not enough volunteers. Those are the problems. They're big problems. But can you see the potential of the people here? Can you see the potential of St. Jude's at this moment in time? That we can become a church that makes disciples who makes disciples. Can you see the potential that we can form strong life groups? Sorry, it's not moving on. Come on, move on. We can form people and see them develop and grow in their faith. We can use our links through the school and the nursery. We can grow our work amongst the students in our city. We can make the most of our position at the top of the precinct so that more people will come to the cream teas, to Little Tiddlers, to the Table Tennis Cafe, to Friday Fridge. There's huge potential here at St. Jude's, isn't there? If we can only set it free, if we can gain that confidence that David had, that the battle is the Lord's. And there are opportunities like this glorious dinner that we've talked about this morning. What did you think when Andy was up here saying, we need to take someone along to that dinner? Did you think, oh, well, that's probably, he's talking to someone else. He's not talking to me. Somebody else will go out and fight. I can stay safe. I can stay behind the defences. Did you see the problems of asking someone? That you might get rejected, that someone might say no, that someone might be offended. Did you see the big problems of asking someone? Or did you see the potential? The potential of someone coming to know Jesus, encountering the beauty and the wonder of the gospel, having their whole 
life, destiny changed for all eternity. That's the potential of taking someone to the glorious dinner. That's what could happen if we let God lead us into battle. What did you think when Adam challenged you to think of someone that you could bring along? Did you think of someone and then think, oh, no, Lord, not them. Please, not them. Don't let them send them. This morning, I'd have, I would look at the sermon before I come down on a Sunday morning, and I just read it again before I came down, left my house, and started walking along our road, and there was the neighbor that I always think I must invite to one of these things. He was there getting into his car, and he said, oh, got a busy day, and I said, because we're friends, sort of, we've been round to theirs for dinner, they've been round to ours, but I've never invited him. It's tough, it's hard, it's not easy, but the battle is the Lord's. So I am going to buy two tickets off Michael before we go today, and I am going to go and see him, and I am going to say, would you like to come to dinner on the 18th of October? Because we can all do that. We're not going to get put in prison for doing that. We're not going to get killed for doing that. We just need to step out. We just need to have this confidence. Do we see the problems or do we see the potential? That's, I think, what this story of David is all about. Would you stand? And we're going to say a prayer. And if Hannah and the group could come up, ready to play for us. Let's just pause and let's pray. Lord, help us to be people who see the possibilities of all that we can do when you are alongside us. We're often faced with enormous challenges and problems. But help us to leave these in your care. Instead, may we see the potential if we offer all that we have into your hands. We pray for ourselves that we might see your victory at work in our lives. And we pray for our church that we might bring your light and life and love to our community, to our city. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs>